You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are in our third and final week covering The Ghost of Paris by Tara Moss. Chapters 25 to 36, Dom is back for one last time before we bid him farewell. It's good to have you in the studio alive, Dom. Behind the scenes, we've had a couple of weeks off and... uh, I'm glad to see you back in, in fighting shape. Yes, I caught the nasty Rona for a second time and it was worse than oh. the first. It was it was a little wacky because Herds, you were out for the first two weeks. Dom was I out know. for the third. I'm like frightened that something is going to go terrifyingly wrong for me after this episode just to complete the trifecta. Yeah, look, this is this is the first time that I've seen Dom's face in what feels like years. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful and beardly, which I really appreciate. Uh, yeah, and I'm ready to get stuck in to the final week of The Ghost of Paris by Tara Moss. So I, I think the first thing that I wanted to talk about was a bit of criticism that we had last week, Herds, which is that we felt that the novel wasn't being chaotic enough with the potential chaos it kept setting up. Sure. Do you think it held up? Do you think it was wild enough? Oh my goodness. I have so many thoughts and feelings about this because look, we've been tormenting Dom this whole time about this mystery and how everything's going to tie together. And it's weird how much in this novel doesn't tie together. Also in such a, uh, a how did I describe it? Not dominoes. It's it's too quick to be dominoes. Bowling pins? Bowling pins. Thank you. It's like a bowling pin knockdown where we go from we've you know, been attacked by a Nazi and then Sam is sleeping with Billy and then Jack Rakes come back literally an hour afterwards after that's happened. And it's kind of chaotic in the sense that there's so much happening at once, but it's also happening in such a strict timeline. It feels a bit too clean to be really like, to feel real to me, Mm. I guess. Point of order, Sam and Billy sleep together. Basically. Yeah, they sleep. There's no confirmation of a horizontal cha-cha taking place. I mean, listen, Dom, I'm going to have to edit this out of the episode, but Tara does, and this is absolutely on purpose, describe him as her secretary cum assistant. It's true. We'll have to remove that. That is pretty good. I did note that. It's terrible. No, I'm glad that none of the three of us are above that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we know what trough we eat from. We understand. But, but here's the thing, right, is that obviously that happens, and then the very next chapter we go downstairs and Jack Rake is there, and I think that, like, you know, if they if they didn't actually bang that night, then it almost undermines the dramatic irony of Jack showing up that particular day. No, I think it's even more ironic and more delicious that they didn't bang because she didn't know if he was alive or dead. Mm -hmm. And then he turns up that she finds out that, that Jake, the rake diddle, 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 dumb has, Mm. uh, you know, has been unfaithful. So soon after they consummated their marriage on the go in the middle of war, you know, I still say it's Schrodinger's root. Okay. It regardless. may have happened. Okay. It may not have happened. Let's put this to bed, so to speak, Tom. <laughs> Here's the thing. Whether there was... How dare you, sir. Whether there was sleeping or no sleeping, regardless of what happened that one night, she was unfaithful in the sense that she was like, I can get with Sam. Like I'm Jimmy on. Carter. She confessed <laughs> to committing yeah. adultery she confessed. in her heart. Exactly. It was an emotional... Uh, adulterous situation. But, like, she she thinks, you know, I can move on. I can be with Sam. I'm a bit shaken up from that Nazi assassin that tried to kill me earlier today, which is another one of those bowling pins. As it and, does. Uh, yeah. So she's like, yeah, I, I can move on. I can finally let this whole Jack Rake thing go. And then he turns up immediately after. Yeah, can you really? That. Yeah, can you really? I think, I think it's also interesting because their relationship, Jack and Billy, was born out of the war and their struggles within it. And this idea that now the war is over, 
they can't be together because, you know, things have changed so much. Indeed. What goes on tour of duty stays on tour of duty. It is truly a trope fest is the problem. Also, I want to point out that the only reason this whole thing like sits together is because Jake, Jake the Rack, he bangs the girl who was in the prologue <laughs> chapter, who was strapped to a tank. They have a child. Both of those characters die. Like, it's it's too neat that Jack is like, yeah, I just I have this really intense tie to to Poland and the war, but they're all dead now, so I don't need to worry about them. Can I just declare one other interest at this stage? <laughs> Always. Absolutely. I, I I wish I could retract the second episode I was involved in where you were grilling me and I was trying to work out who done it, like this was a who done it. This ain't no who done it. Yes. <laughs> it's a crime novel. Right, there's crime. It's a novel that takes place with crime, but it's it's not a murder mystery. It's almost not a mystery. It's just a romance that happens to be related to death because of the war. Yeah, which is a really interesting thing because I think Tara Moss has been very comfortably and welcomingly adopted by the crime fiction community uh, while writing novels that, you know, shoot in the foot many of the tropes and ideas that we love and hold dear on this show in terms of solvability, which we'll get into in the back half of the show and how fair we thought this mystery was. It's very easy from the context of the novel to go in with completely the wrong expectations. Look, I I loved the writing. It, It kept me reading. You know, I can't fault that. But all the way through, I was expecting, I was expecting, uh, you know, Professor so-and-so with a candlestick in the library or whatever, <laughs> I, or, or an unmasking like in Scooby-Doo, you know, Mayor Briggs, and I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you pesky kids. Well, that that is kind of the interesting thing about, about this novel, and I'm going to... So I think it's it's mostly a result of of the uh, middle trilogy syndrome. Um, the the Nazi villains that we deal with in this novel are not all sufficiently tied in with like the the core plot, I guess, in in a way. I don't know. Maybe someone else got me kind of explain this. Um, well, I, I think having come from read reading The War Widow before this, I enjoyed both of these novels a lot, and like the parallels, honestly, are kind of fun. But there is a sense that you're getting towards here where. The resolution of both novels is kind of the same. We yes, we yeah. blow up the Nazi and run off. Well, to be clear, we knock a Nazi out a window or off some scaffolding. That was that's what I'm driving towards. Like the Nazi at the end of both novels kind of dies in the same way, but in this one is not the subject of the search. He just happens to be hunting Billy at the same time. But I definitely think I want to read the third book in the trilogy to like get the full scope of it. So what you're saying is that despite your frustrations, Tara made the right choice here. I don't know about right choice. It was a choice. You read crime novels while I do, and I have to suspend a certain amount of disbelief because, you know, everything's just a little bit too coincidental to wrap it up that way. That didn't happen with this because it wasn't your traditional crime novel. As a romance, you know, I'm almost offended that I enjoyed a romance novel because I'm a cynic and I hate that stuff. So... Good writing there, you know. To, it kept me going. You need to read more romance novels, clearly. Uh, <laughs> or, point of order, I or, do not need to read. Yeah, or, I do not wish to read. Hold on. Or romance novels that masquerade as crime or mystery novels. I think maybe we could dig you in on. But we'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure, some other day. I, I think the other thing that was interesting uh, was the kind of wrap-up of Monty's story because, like, a, as with everything that we've discussed, we kind of return to Sydney. Vera's there with... Pearson and they're happy that they're able to go off because Monty had committed assault in another country and thus couldn't come back and be her lawfully wedded husband. And it's like, 
on the one hand, we've kind of wrapped up that narrative arc, as I was mentioning earlier, where it heavily parallels Billy's story. That's obviously the point. But we get back and it's just like, all right, thank you very much for your service. Yeah. I'm off. The final line is it's Billy. She's, I want to say, talking. To, I actually think she's talking to Shyla. It, it doesn't matter. She's talking to someone and she's like, I'm going for a long drive and I don't know where I'll end up. And in my head, I'm like, in the next novel is where <laughs> you'll end up so that we can resolve all of these lingering plot elements. Mostly the Nazis that have been chasing you for the last two novels. Yeah, actually on that front, Shyla was also really interesting because Shyla, you know, had to face a lot through this novel. Then that plot thread kind of just is wrapped up by her being promoted. By her being, oh yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Yeah, Shyla is promoted to now you work with me now, but even that kind of happens off screen, which is a bit strange. Um, that said, the scene between uh, Hank Cooper and the and the Baroness. Yes, I don't know that I believe that you stabbed this man. It probably was Shyla, but also. I don't like he knows the the implications, yeah. you know. If Charlotte's the one who goes to court, so he lets also, it be. who cares who stabbed him? He deserved to stab him. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, if it was an Agatha Christie novel, they all would have stabbed him at least once. I think so. I think so. Speaking of group stabbings, we should uh, probably <laughs> get on with whatever we're meant to do to Dom in the next section. Oh, Dom. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for it. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing Ghosts of Paris by Tara Moss all the way to the end of the story. Full spoilers are in the house. Stick around. More to come. You're on to SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. Just a few weeks ago, we were graced with the release the first release in the Dark Deeds Down Under anthology series put together by Clandestine Press, edited by Craig Sisterson and... The series is and promises to continue being a wonderful amalgamation of some Australian and New Zealand crime fiction with both up-and-coming and well-respected voices. In that spirit, we're joined by Lindy Cameron from Clandestine Press, Craig Sisterson, and one of the many featured authors in the series, Vanda Simon. It is wonderful to have you all. Welcome to Death of the Reader. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Felix. Yeah, Kieran, g'day, everyone. Lovely to be here. <laughs> g'day. Lindy, let's start with you. An author who will go unnamed told us that you're often the nexus for many of the wonderful collaborations we've seen come our way from the local crime fiction community. What's so important to you about bringing these authors all together for things like Dark Deeds Down Under? I'm a crime fiction writer myself, uh, so I love it. I'm a a founding member and current vice president of Sisters in Crime Australia, uh, and we've been going for 31 years, so there's that. Uh, And also as a publisher, um, I began publishing um, crime fiction, and because I know so many authors Start off with mostly we. I know lots of guy authors as well, but most of the women that I know, uh, crime writers I know, are women. And so I, I thought, well, let's do an anthology. But I wanted a good balance with the crime fiction, and so I turned to the one person I knew who knew more about men, the male writers, than I did, and that was Craig. <laughs> so, um, and I, do, I just love having a combination. I've done um, a couple of collections, uh, anthologies in the last two years. Um, and we've got more coming up, and and their their crime, their um, woo woo, their horror and crime. Uh, but this one is straight out detective mystery thriller fiction. Now, Vanda, 
uh, Craig was mentioning to us when this was released that a, a big part of the anthology is bringing both standalone and series stories together. Sam Shepard has had a delightful resurgence with recent international publishings of your work, um, and it was delightful to see her back in the action on a murder case with an unusually fuzzy exterior. Um, why was an animal shelter the right setting for Sam's return? Uh, that is such a good question. Sometimes as a writer, you get totally inspired for an idea by conversations with friends over coffee. And I'd mentioned that um, I was challenged to write a short story and set in Dunedin, and it was going to be a Sam Shepard one. We were talking about um, her daughter, actually, who was a volunteer at the local SPCA. And it was that that just kind of triggered off for me some ideas about, now, wouldn't it be quite fun to have something nefarious happening at the SPCA, because, I mean, I've sullied so many other places around Dunedin. I thought I may as well <laughs> sully the SPCA as well. You know, you've got to go all out. People often think of volunteers as, you know, being lovely, kind-hearted people. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool, um, no, just using that idea of something at the animal shelter, if actually one of them might have done something pretty bad. <laughs> now, Craig, you've been given a pretty monumental task here by Lindy in bringing together an enormous array it's a lot to list back to back, but listeners of the show would be familiar with Aoife Clifford, Solari Gentle, RWR McDonald, Danuka McKenzie. How does it feel to finally have one issue out in the wild, or is the pressure not really over with two more on the way? It feels really good, Felix. It was a bit of a dream come true project when Lindy kind of gave me the call last year, and, and I immediately that weekend got on video chats with a whole lot of Australian and New Zealand crime writers that I thought I would love to have involved and everyone was so supportive, like every single person. But all, um, we got so many yeses <laughs> that I was, I did, I did got like a quarter of the way down my dream list, which is why one of the reasons why we're doing multiple uh, <laughs> multiple anthologies, which is great for everyone. But no, it's, it's really terrific to have it out there. Um, for me here in London, I've got a box of books that's been delivered, which is lovely. But I'm going to the Harrogate Festival here in the UK tomorrow, the Fixed Peculiar Crime Writing Festival. I'll be taking a few copies along. There's a couple of Aussies and Kiwis who are going to appear on stage, Michael Bennett in the Styles, D.V. Bishop and some others. They may be getting arm-twisted to be involved in some future issues. In fact, uh, Michael's daughter, Mahina, is actually the Indigenous artist, the Maori artist who's created the remarkable... Indigenous artwork of the um, the Kiwi that's throughout our book. We also have some brilliant Aboriginal artwork from Chantal Walsh, who's a Noongar artist from Western Australia as well. I did like I did like the way that you use those to kind of say where everyone was from without actually explicitly stating it. That was quite cute. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we needed a, a way of describing where everyone was from, particularly as someone like Alan Carter who I, I don't know why I thought he was actually a Kiwi and it turns out he's a POM who's lived in New Zealand and now lives in Australia. So when I was laying out the book and I had the, I gave him the boat, I gave him both um, of the um, uh, icons that we've got with the Kiwi larger and the platypus underneath and then I realised that he's actually English originally so I had to reduce both and then sort of pale them out a bit to say, okay, he's from both. <laughs> 
And Rob McDonald, RWI McDonald, of course, Rob now is a Kiwi who now lives in in, uh, Melbourne. So I had to do the same for him, a Kiwi, a big Creek Kiwi and a little platypus. Well, I wanted to ask that there must be some order to this chaos. Now, Lydia and Craig, when we spoke with Vasim Khan about the perfect crime collection earlier this year, he said that the prompt that he gave to authors was write the story that you've always wanted to write. But what prompts do you think kind of shine the most in this anthology that you put forward? I think a few people, a few of the standalone people who went, just went, woohoo, I'm just going to write whatever I want, which is great. And we've got some really good stories amongst those. But the series character people, I, I think they were really like Vanda. You know, it was some of them have written short stories before, like Kerry Green was written short stories before. Um, and she's got so many ideas. It's just, you know, there's, there's not enough time in the day for her ideas. But I think some of the other authors were, were exactly like Vanda, whether they write them or don't write them, um, having a chance to take their, their series character and give them an, an afternoon outing almost. Um, I wonder so if some of the other authors as terrified as I was that I'd write this short story and that I'd hand it to you guys and you'd look at it and go, that's nice. <laughs> How about we try that again? <laughs> well, it is quite an art. I mean, clearly it's an art form to be able to write short stories. The first one I ever wrote, Someone asked me to write one and it ended up being 15,000 words. Mind you, it got published in an anthology of, of short stories, so twice. So uh, I suppose a, a good story is a good story, whether it um, comes out at five or 15. <laughs> now, I suppose, Craig, to, to close this out, we've mentioned a few times that there's going to be more issues of Dark Deeds Down Under, one due this November and another in 2023. We've mentioned a few bits and pieces like Natalie Conya writing a prequel, Robert Gott being involved in one or the other. Is there, is there anything that you can tell us that you probably shouldn't about the upcoming books? Well, as um, I mean, it's public knowledge now because it's out there on the websites and that is that one of the one of the we're trying to do a lot of cool things in each anthology, bring together some amazing authors. And I think it's really a showcase, a treasure trove. So there's so many treasures to find. But one particularly cool thing in the first anthology which is out now is that it has the first uh kind of shane maloney story in a very very long time so um that's pretty amazing and so we're hoping to have a few little surprises like that in coming anthologies um stories from some great authors who perhaps have uh not been kind of as active in recent years i can say that you know we've we've got great stories from the likes of emma viskic and helen fitzgerald and charity norman uh, Jack Heath um, and Ben Hobson uh, have all provided stories. So there's some really exciting kind of voices. And, yeah, we, we're in discussions with some publishers of uh, some authors who are no longer with us to perhaps potentially be able to include a story or two of some legendary figures from Australian and New Zealand crime writing, including some that, you know, have perhaps been queens of crime and things like that. <laughs> there you go. I'd just like to acknowledge uh, Lindy's immense restraint in not pulling the uh, chakram that she showed us before the interview out when I asked that question. <laughs> He's probably clutching it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot to look forward to, I can promise you that. And, but yeah, get this one first, read through it, and then stick it on your shelf and get ready for book two because it's going to be a cracker as well. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us here on Death of the Reader. It has been an absolute treat having you all on. And we'll, of course, have links up on the podcast to all of the involved work that we've mentioned in this discussion. Thank you for having us. 
Thanks, Phoenix. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, thanks for being on. (laughs) You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing Ghosts of Paris by Tara Moss this episode, and we'll be back with more of that in just a second. Stick around. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour. You're on to SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds, here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are continuing all the way to the end of our discussion of Ghosts of Paris by Tara Moss. Full spoilers are in town. Dom, you are in the hot seat, and it is time for the post-mortem that we must deliver upon your solution. There was no solution. Well, I mean, look, there were some pointed questions we delivered to you that you, I think you backflipped on three or four times all of all the different yeah. questions we had for you. And in there, there was probably at least one point. I don't know. How do you, how do you feel, Dom? I felt like I was somersaulting as I plummeted into <laughs> the never ending depths of the hole that goes right to the center of the earth. <laughs> and what makes it even better is having had COVID since then, I don't even remember what I believed or didn't believe. All I know is when I got to the end of the novel, there was no way I could answer any of your questions because it wasn't the whodunit I'd thought it'd be. I will dispute at least one of these. Ooh. However, I do think that given that, what, you said there were four backflips in there? Yeah, there were four backflips and it was between two options, so you were right at least twice. So two points? I think two points is good. Oh, that's not, you know, it's like C is degree. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and <laughs> He's got degrees. He, here's the thing is, this this goes to the away team. Shout out to Sean. Shout out to Sean. Um, we miss yeah. you. But yeah, so we'll add those points under the total for the away team. Uh, Godspeed. Godspeed the away team. Godspeed the away team. Now, the thing I did want to pick you on here, Dom, is that I do think that there are a few things that you can get in the mystery sense here, but they they do have a bit of challenge to them that the average mystery novel does not. Because a few of the questions we ask you is, is Jack Rake alive? I think, to my mind, Jack Rake and Richard Montgomery both had to be in the same state. But the other thing was is that there's a lot of mileage I think you can get out of the parallels we were mentioning between Vera and Billy because Vera's story, aside from what actually happened to Richard, is given to you very clear and on the surface right at the beginning of the novel. So you have this big piece of context to carry through everything else you see. Do you feel in hindsight that there were enough pieces had you not been so rampantly misdirected by us. What, are you asking me if I wasn't so stupid could I have been clever? <laughs> yes, 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 yes absolutely. <laughs> I should have been, but there was a part of me that went, I don't think there were enough pieces because, I, like, as I say, I was looking for a whodunit and I was trying to find, you know, it's always the one you least suspect. So I tried to least suspect everyone in turn. And none of them were least suspectful in the end. I think I think generally the interesting question for me coming out of this novel is how to go into a, as we mentioned in the first part, crime novel that isn't crimey with the right expectations to have a good time. <laughs> that reminds me of, remember the Doctor Who where everything was wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey? Yes. And then he played a detective and everything was wibbly-wobbly, crimey-wimey? Mm-hmm. I think this novel's a little bit wibbly-wobbly, crimey-wimey. <laughs> to me... I thought that this novel was a lot of fun, but coming into it trying to solve things, once you'd spotted the parallels, once you had picked that Jack was obviously the character in the start, once the ghost in Paris was clear. Out of the box. Yeah. And, you know. Although we do pull that out over two different scenes, which I think is a strange one, but that's that's part of the previous discussion. The fact that he's like, by the way, I'm alive. 
And then all a bunch of stuff happens. And then he shows up again to save her. He's like, by the way, I'm also Tom. I've been here the whole time. So silly. Anyway, sorry. I I did enjoy reading this book, but there's so many of these things where I'm like, why why didn't Billy just figure this out? Why do we have to have it two separate scenes? Why are there so many scenes with really important things happening literally hours after each other? It's insane. Well, this is one of the interesting things that I I think happens a lot in not mystery crime fiction. I, I mean, sometimes in mystery crime fiction as well, but I think less frequently is that the personal stories for the detective character are really challenging to write in the sense that there has to be a level of personal blindness for the character whose story it is. So if you're coming into a village full of people who've known each other their entire lives and a murder has happened, then the village isn't going to be able to figure figure it out because the village knows everybody and everybody in the village is a nice guy. So it has to be the person that comes from outside to unravel it. So when the detective is the person whose life needs to be unraveled, it's very difficult for them to unravel it because they come in with this immense preconception. I, I totally agree with you. It does lead to one of the most bizarre scenes in the novel that I that I really enjoyed where like immediately after finding out that, that Rake is alive, she's like crying in her bed. She's a mess. And Sam has to like bust down the door and we get a really like vulnerable scene. And for those who have been following my prestigious murder mystery critique career. Uh, I I love when protagonists get vulnerable. Yeah. Because she's like the cool, calm, collected character for the most part, except in Australia House. In terms of her like personal, emotional trauma, this is this is the scene to kind of let it all out, uh, which is much easier for Billy, talking about the parallels between Billy and Vera. It's much easier for Vera because she doesn't have to see her estranged love again, but Billy has to confront it face to face. I enjoyed that too. And there's a part of me that thinks, you know, do you kill Sam off in book three? Do they, I mean, they, they can't have the same working relationship. Is is it going to be like Richard Gordon's Doctor in the House series? Well, Midway through, do you change the main character so that it's actually about Shyla? Well, after? I was going to say, is that not why we set up Shyla to be so competent in running the place while Billy was take away so business? that she can take over? No. I, I, I'm kind of interested in in the the Shyla prequel leading up to her being the kick-ass detective down mm. the track. No, I, I think I think there's a, there's a lot of room to go in there for the third book, but it is, as you were saying, back towards the start of the episode, Herds, a challenging story to come into without expecting to go and read the third book. The the War Widow, I think, wrapped itself up nicely, still left enough hooks that we can pick some of them up in this novel. This uh, definitely feels like the middle child, um, but was fantastic in its own right. And for the parallels, for the big dramatic moments, there's there's a lot of stuff in here to like. And I think it, it's it's a good book to pick up and read if you like looking at social issues through crime fiction in, in particular. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I did love that aspect of it a lot. It it talks to modern-day Australia so well. Yeah, because, like, you know, obviously there's the refugees, there's the issues of the way that we treat, you know, the First Nations people here in the country. As you were saying in the first week, Herds, the way that Billy, like, corrects people on the use of Her her pronouns. title yeah. as, as a parallel for pronouns it's all so clever and there's so much to love but it is a challenge and it's very important to keep in mind to come into this book i think with an open mind for how it isn't crime fiction and and in the end what i love about it is it's not a color by numbers crime novel yeah and that that's beautiful too like even even being thwarted expecting for it to to play out like a whodunit Mm. it's actually fun to read because it doesn't because it doesn't live up to all your expectations of of how 
things should tie up so neatly. Well, yeah, and I, I think also some of my favourite murder mysteries of all time have been the ones that I was the worst at guessing. <laughs> and to me, this book kept up that spirit where I was enjoying myself taking guesses about how the parallels were going to play out, where Jack was going to be, what happened to the girl on the tank at the start of the novel. I still had a great time flailing. <laughs> like that's one of the things I like about guessing crime novels. Yeah, I guess I guess for you and Herds, you have a great time flailing. Being the person being flailed, flayed <laughs> in in you know in this show, it's the fu- the fun's more in the reading than in the trying to guess in front of you. Yeah. Well, to to be fair, when you're in the hot seat and you have no idea what's going on, sometimes you come up with your most wacky, amazing theories. Like, sometimes that just happens. That's the thing, is, like, maybe for all we know, Dom, this has all been a ploy, and you were playing a strategy last week trying to bamboozle us out of which your actual answer was so that we just give you the points, assuming you... Oh, that's definitely what I set out yeah, to do. See, exactly. Yeah, I'm glad I did that. I've solved you, Dom. <laughs> that you were the real mystery the whole time. Now, where's the romance? <laughs> Schrodinger's root. Schrodinger's root. And with that, I suppose, this has been your Murder Mystery World Tour covering The Ghosts of Paris by Tara Moss. Thank you to Collins for hooking us up with copies of this book and getting the chance to speak with Tara. It has been a riotous fun time. Well, Herds, after months, years, days, hours? Minutes. Seconds. Milliseconds. Nanoseconds? We could go on. But we, we could <laughs> go on. It is finally time for us to get to the next Queen of Crime we have yet to cover Dorothy L. Sayers. Yay! I've been wanting to do one of the other Queens of Crime since we started the show, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, Herds, I've yeah. prepared something for us in the room here. If you'd look oh, over to you. the left of the desk, there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's a body there. Yeah, I see it. I, it's face down. I mm-hmm. can't quite tell who it is. Um, I can't quite tell what's going on there. You can't quite tell... Whose body? By Dorothy L. Sayers. Whose body? Whose body? Whose body by Can Dorothy I, L. <laughs> I want to say this may be the greatest title of any murder mystery book that I've ever read in my life. For, the, for our listeners who are confused, because there have been some really great titles on this show, Hertz is saying this because it's the only one that he's managed to remember the first it's time true. I said it to him. Because you say it like a question, because it's got a question mark on the title. Say, whose body? Whose body? Whose body? Chapters one to four is what we have next week on the show as we crawl our way in to this mysterious case of man in bath I'm ready to get my hands wet let's go this is your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3 we'll be back with that next week you're listening to 2SER 107.3